morning, you all, as we were in worship, um, I thought about something that C.S. Lewis said in his, uh, his book, The Screwtape Letters. And he talks about in that book, there's, a, um, there's this older demon that is mentoring this younger demon about how to deceive Christians. And in that, there's this story of a man who comes in church after he gives his life to the Lord. And the older demon tells the younger demon to do this. He says, get them to focus on everything but the word that is going forth. So focus on the squeaky shoes that are walking down the aisle. Focus on the person that is singing that is off key. But don't allow them to focus on the message that is going forth. And so C.S. Lewis' correction to this was an encouragement that when you come together with believers in the house of God to focus on God, don't pay attention to the things that may be a distraction. Yes, even if you are off key, you are still required to open your mouth and sing with the other believers. Yes, the person that the choir may be off key at times. Yes, there may be someone walking down who has squeaky shoes. Yes, there will be things that happen in worship that come to distract us. But he encourages him to focus on Jesus. And, you know, that's why we're here this morning. To focus all of our attention on Jesus. I thought about that as, as you all were singing that song. God, I want to give you more than a song. I want to give you my heart. And so it is a privilege and a pleasure to be with you all again this morning. Um, I want to first acknowledge the fact that um, we have joining us this morning. Um, Mr. Marvin Stewart and his beautiful wife are joining us this morning. Mr. Stewart serves as our co-chair for Elevate Birmingham. So thank you, Mr. Stewart. And Mrs. Stewart, thank y'all for your support. Um, my mother is here. My wife and daughter are here this morning. They are some of the biggest champions and cheerleaders that anyone could ask for. And so I'm always excited and privileged to have them with us. So you all, this is the third time that I will be uh, preaching to you all. So buckle up. Uh, you know, I feel like we're family now at this point. So let's, let's go on a little journey together. Let's laugh. Let's joke. Let's, let's reflect. Let's have a good time. Um, all right. Uh, I will be in Colossians chapter one today, and I will be, we'll, we'll look at the vast majority of the chapter. Y'all know I don't mind preaching long segments of, of scripture from the last two times I was here. Um, but before we dive into today, let's pray. Father God, it is a privilege to be in the household of God. It is a privilege to be with those who you have set aside and called by your name. It is a privilege, Father God, to open your word and to declare your truth. It is a privilege to walk with you, Father God, and to get to know you more and more. It is a privilege, Father God, that you have worked throughout the ages in so many different ways in our lives, Father God, drawing people to yourself. And we are grateful for this time and this season that we have, Father God. We are grateful to be here with one another together. Father God, we are grateful, Father God, to be united by your spirit and the blood of your son, Jesus, and your word. So would you speak to our hearts with the Holy Spirit, draw our hearts 
to you, Father God. Would you, O Lord, reveal yourself and Holy Spirit, would you reveal Jesus in all of his glory and all of his splendor to us this morning? Father God, it's in your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So again, I um, we're going through some of the great chapters in all of the Bible, and I have the privilege of preaching on probably one of the hardest passages of Scripture to preach on since uh, Pastor Rob wouldn't let me preach on Ephesians 1, but that's a, <laughs> it's another conversation for another day. Um, <laughs> um, so, but as, as I was thinking about what I wanted to share with you all this morning, and I was really reflecting on, I didn't just want to come and list off a bunch of theological truths, right? And that's really important to understand the depth in, these, in this passage of Scripture, but I wanted to come to know together with one another the Jesus that Paul is declaring to the Colossians, right? Like there's a lot of different ways that you can take this chapter of Scripture, and it would probably take me several weeks to be able to preach it in a way that I felt may have been sufficient to all that Paul is saying to us this morning. But I wanted to make sure that we together were able to capture the core of the message. You know, last time I preached, um, I shared how I was still recovering and gaining my strength back from having COVID. And I just was, as I was thinking about this, I was reflecting on the interesting season that the Lord has had me in. I was reflecting on the fact that it has been a season filled with his grace and his kindness and his mercy towards me. I don't, many of you all won't know this, some of you all will, that I've had COVID three times since March 2020. Yep, I just kind of attracted. So, you know, every new variant, I like to test it out first to see how it will treat people. Um, I've had the flu. I've had some weird virus that like took away my voice for like a week and a half and I couldn't talk, which I don't know, my family probably loved because I was just quiet for about a week. <laughs> I've had the privilege in that time to help start the largest charter school in the state and also become the director of Elevate Birmingham. Um, the privilege to serve students and their families and staff. I've also had the pain of losing a staff member, of losing a friend to gun violence and then losing a student to gun violence as well. And all those highs and lows have taught me a valuable lesson. I've learned in those seasons that I'm often surrounded by friends and family that I love and who love me. I'm surrounded by people who I've committed my life to and those people who have committed themselves to me. I found myself in the midst of difficult circumstances, unsure about how I'll move forward and what I should do. I've been lonely. I felt isolated. Again, I've had COVID three times. And I know what it's like to ask God the question, how long will this last? How much longer should I endure? What comes next? And I've found that sometimes that in the everyday stuff of life, it becomes really easy for us to drift. Now, I don't mean like the last time I preached on July 3rd kind of drift. David, Bathsheba, covering up your sins for years. I don't mean that type of drift. I mean that in the midst of the everyday stuff of life, when all the responsibilities, the daily grind, the weight of loss, the confusion of our actions and the actions of others, 
when we long and we, we suffer through long bouts of sickness and we lose a job, we lose a loved one, we lose opportunities when our businesses fail and our dreams die and when our budgets get tight and where now we have to spend 20 to $40 more at the gas station and 100 and $150 more at the grocery store when life is going well, when our budgets increase and when our businesses are flourishing, when our families are growing, when we get into our dream school or we accomplish some major feat, that in the beautiness and the busyness and the burdens of life, we go through seasons of wandering. And like sheep, we drift, often looking for pastures to relieve our souls, pastures that we can lie down in and find some sort of respite. And in that drifting, our eyes just so slightly get taken off of Jesus. We focus more on the grind than on Christ. We focus more on our failures. We focus more on our hopes than on Jesus. And it's not something that we can easily tell. It's just one of those things that we find ourselves, maybe just off by a degree, going through our lives and we wake up one day and we realize that we strayed away. Now, I'm not talking about that we've walked away from the faith. It's just that our, we're not as focused on Jesus like we used to be. And I found myself in seasons like that. And I love how Paul writes this letter to the Colossians to encourage them. I love it how he speaks such truth to them. In a church, as I read, that is doing well, but is maybe drifting ever so slightly. There are some things that we'll talk about later that is going on in this church, and it may be causing some of them to take their eyes off of Jesus. And I love how Paul writes this letter of encouragement and love to them. And I love it how he starts the letter, because in any good letter, there always has to be some sort of greeting. But I know if you're like me, if you got something going on in your lives and somebody like Paul, somebody with the authority of a Paul writes you a letter, I may be a little afraid to open it because I'm thinking he's going to jump right into my mess. I'm like, I don't really want to read this right now. But Paul opens up his letters to the Colossians like this. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I bet that warmed the Colossians' hearts. To open up this letter from Paul as it's read out loud, and they see that Paul is saying, hey, I'm for you. I want you to know that, yes, I'm in the position that God has given me. I'm here with our, your brother and my son in the faith, Timothy. I'm, I'm doing this because God has appointed me to do it by his will. And I want to remind you who you are. You are the chosen of God. You have been set apart by God. And you are his faithful brethren. You are his faithful family members. I pray that God's grace and peace would be with you. All throughout this letter, Paul is in this constant state of prayer for the church. 
He's in this constant state of just declaring who Jesus is in this like prayer and speaking mode. And it's very beautiful. The first thing, though, that he goes into after his introduction is he wants to let the Colossians know what he's heard about them. He speaks about their reputation. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Paul did not plant the church at Colossians. He, did, he, 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 he was in Ephesus for about three years. And then there was someone who came, Epaphras, who came and heard the word of God preached along with Philemon. And they went and started this church in Colossae. Now, Paul had never been there before. They go, they start this church. At some point, probably when Paul is in prison, they come to him and say, hey, Paul, there's a few things that are going on in the church we'd like for you to address. But Paul first speaks about what he's heard of, about this church, their reputation. And so today I want to talk to you about how Christ is supreme in all things. And first, in their reputation, I want to focus on how Christ is supreme in our being and in our doing. Paul says this, remember, these are a people that are opening up God's word opening up this letter together, hearing what is being said to them, encouraged by the fact that this apostle, this great man of the faith would take out time to write to them. He says, we give thanks to God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. So Paul first says, look, Colossians, I want to share something with you. I've heard about your faith in Christ Jesus. That is what has preceded you is the fact that you have put all of your hope, all of your trust, your entire life in Christ Jesus. And not only have I heard about your faith in Christ Jesus, but I've also heard about the love that is an outflow of the faith that you have in Jesus. And I want to say that I'm thanking God for the work that he is doing in you and among you. Beloved, what is it that people think about our reputation. When they think of you, when they think of this church, what is it that comes to their heart and their mind? What is the reputation that precedes you when they say, I attend Huffman Baptist Church? Do they think of what we do? do they think of who we are. I know there's one thing that as I've gone out and engaged the community, especially in this area, probably within a 10 to 15 mile radius of this church, when I mention Huffman Baptist Church, one of the things that comes to mind is the fact that Huffman Baptist Church used to have a fantastic upward basketball program. Like everybody seems to talk about the upward basketball program and coming to Huffman Baptist Church on Saturdays and the parking lot being filled with people. They would talk about their students and their kids having the opportunity to learn the game, having a safe place to go. So that is one of the things that people think about when they think about this church. 
What are some of the other things that this church is known for in its 114-year history? Well, Paul is saying to the Colossians that what I've heard about you is how Christ has worked among you and has worked in you to bring about his will in your city, in your community. You know, I appreciate the fact that, that Paul starts with this. Because when I, when I need a little encouragement and correction, that's how God is, right? Like we often think that he's going to berate us and beat us. But what he often does is comes to us and reminds us of who we are. He reminds us that we haven't let go. He reminds us that we've been holding on to him because he's been holding on to us. He reminds us of the fact that we haven't let go. We are still trusting and walking with him by faith. And he sees it all and he remembers. He recalls their faith and the fact that their love, that their faith has called them to be activists in their community and how they love one another. But isn't that what Jesus told us to do? A mark of who they are is doing what Jesus had commanded them to do, which was to love one another. Isn't that how people are to identify the people of God? By our love for one another? So I appreciate the fact that he points that out. And I also appreciate, because I know God does me like this as well, he probably does you like this too. After he reminds you of what he's done in your life, he takes your eyes off of you and puts your eyes on to his work. He says this, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit in verse 6. Now, isn't that amazing? That God says, yeah, this work, this is at work in you. My gospel is at work in you. But it is also at work all over the world. It is easy when we are laboring in what God has given us to do to forget that God is working beyond us. Yes, he is working in us and yes, he is working through us. But we forget that God is at work through his gospel by his spirit all over the world. And it is that reminder that we often need, that we are a part of God's broader work. I wonder when Paul was writing this letter in prison, as he's praying for this church, he talks about hope. Now, I've never been in a Roman prison in 60 AD. I don't know if you have. We can talk about it if you have. But I'm pretty sure it's not like being in prison in 2022. I'm sure there was no running water. I'm sure there was no central heat or central air. I'm pretty sure that it was more like a dungeon he was chained in and probably didn't get much sunlight. And the fact that Paul expresses this hope that is eternal while talking to them, he talks about because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel. He talks about 
that they are known for their hope. I don't know how a man that seems to be in a hopeless situation commends other people for the hope that they have in Jesus. But I'm sure for the Colossians it was a lesson. A lesson to remember. A lesson to this is the beautiful, gracious, glorious gift that God has given you. Paul also goes into this lovely prayer for the Colossians. And starting in verse 9, he says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, God's will, and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and all long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints and the light. Paul says, look, I want to commend you on the fact that you are well known for your faith and your love and the hope that you have in Jesus. I want you to know that the same thing that God is doing in you, he is doing across the world through the gospel. And so I want to stir you up that your reputation is preceding you and to keep going. But there is something else that Paul does in prayer form to the Colossians. He tells them, not only do I want you to know that I've heard of your reputation, but beloved, I'm praying for you for where you're going. Your reputation is about where you've been and what you've done. But Paul says, I'm going to pray for you about where you're going because you're going to need some things for the journey that God has ahead of you. Now that really is important to the people of God that we pause and reflect on what Paul is saying to us in this moment and what he's saying to them. He says this, there's three things that we can break his prayer down into. Is I'm going to pray that you would know Christ in your spiritual maturity. I'm going to pray that as you are equipped and that for if you are equipped for and prepared for the journey ahead that you would begin to look and respond more like Jesus. And I'm going to pray that you would be reminded of what Jesus has done for you. So the first part of that prayer is that he says, I pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul says, I want you to grow in knowing God. Beloved, I am so happy for what God has done in your history, and I'm going to celebrate you for that. But there are some things that I want you to continue to grow in. And if you're going to continue to grow and develop and mature on this journey, you are going to grow, to grow in knowing what God desires for your life and his church. That what Paul is asking for is discernment. That you would be able to look at situations and understand what's really going on beyond what you can see. Dr. Tony Evans says, if we see all there is to see, then we do not see all there is to be seen. 
So what he means by that is if we only see what is before us, what is, what is physical and natural, we do not fully understand all that God is doing. And so what Paul is praying for the church is that as you continue on this journey of what God has called you to and fighting the fights that he's called you to fight, which we'll talk about in a moment, I want you to grow in understanding first who God is and what he desires for his people, his creation, and, and, and what his will is for all things. I want you to continue growing, beloved. I'm glad that your faith is known. I'm glad that your love is known. And I want you to continue to be known for having, being people who understand the knowledge of God. He says that I desire this for you in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Then he says, I want you to walk in a manner that is worthy and says that um, I want you to live in a way that is pleasing. So I talk about this journey that they're on because we're all on some type of journey individually and collectively with one another. And he is saying to them, look, God has called you out, separated you by his spirit, and I want you to now live in light of the work that God has done and is doing in you. I want you to live in a way that declares that God is who he says he is and that he is good. And I want you to grow in that walk because God calls us throughout our journey to keep growing and to keep going. He also talks about the good works that he is praying that they would do. He says, I want you to be fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Beloved, as I was reflecting on this, I thought about how it is impossible for us to actually know God apart from being with God and obeying him. Most of us sometimes think that we can come to know God apart from being with him and obeying him, but we cannot. And so Paul is saying to them, look, I want you to increase in the knowledge of God. And one way is by adding the good works and obedience together. He also says to them, there's something else that I desire for you. He says, I pray that you be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering. What he's saying is that I'm praying for you because the journey ahead will not be easy. I know that like, God has brought you this far, but for where you're going, the journey ahead will not be an easy journey. There are some things that we are going to need along the way. One of those things that we are going to need is his strength. Beloved, I don't, I don't know if you've ever just been fighting something and going through a difficult time and you begin to try to live out of your own strength. Where your eyes drift ever so slightly from Jesus and you begin now trying to do and be not out of his strength, but out of your own strength. What Paul is saying that God has a reservoir of strength 
available to you and I want you to live out of his glorious power because you're going to need it to refute the things that are going to need to be dealt with. He also says that I pray that you would grow in endurance and long-suffering. Now, this is something I wish Paul would not pray for us. The reason why is because we need endurance to deal with difficult circumstances, and we need long-suffering to deal with difficult people. And he's saying, look, I know that you've learned to love born out of your faith, but I need you to know that along this journey, I'm praying that God would strengthen you so that you would be ready to deal with the difficult things and the difficult people that are ahead. You're going to need to learn to love them through the pain that they're going to cause you. You're going to need to learn to rejoice even when your situation seems heavy and you're being persecuted. You're going to need to learn to keep going Huffman Baptist Church, even when people look and do not understand what you are doing. When they look and they say, why would they do that? Why would they go that direction? Do they really need to do that? Is it, does it really take all of that? To follow God in this next step along the journey, you will need endurance and long-suffering. And Paul finally ends this portion, this prayer, with, with this. He says, I pray and I give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints and the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through the blood of his blood, the forgiveness of sin. He says, he prays a prayer of reminder. Beloved, I want to remind you that you are not on this journey alone, but God is the one who set you on this journey. God is the one who started you on this path and he will stay with you because God is the one who qualified you to be a member of his family. God is the one who took you out of darkness and placed you in the light. God is the one who forgave you of your sins and I want you to know that he will give you what you need to keep going. Remember what he's done for you. Remember where he's brought you from. He has to remind them of these things. And he's praying that they would know as it gets difficult, as it gets hard, that they did not start themselves on this journey, but he started them on this journey and he has been so gracious to them. Look at the language that he uses. You were once in the darkness, but I have taken you and placed you in the light. You are now in the kingdom of the son of my love. I've now brought you into my love. I have redeemed you. I've purchased you back. I have forgiven you of your sins. I've done that for you. So when you feel like you can't keep going, remember that you are not alone. And then this is where I'd like to conclude and I'd like to talk a little bit about the supremacy of Christ. He gets to this point because Paul likes to make abrupt changes, right? Like he likes run on sentences and abrupt changes, right? Like that, the last seven verses were just one really long sentence. 
And he says this in verse 15. He actually transitions to dealing with the issue at hand. There was a problem that was happening in the Colossian church, and that problem was the fact that there was this group uh, known as Gnostics. And these Gnostics um, began to say that all matter was evil and that only spiritual things were good. I will, I, will bore, I will spare you the details, but essentially the conclusion that it led them to was that Christ was not supreme, Christ was created, and that in order to get to God, you had to go through a bunch of other little gods and gain a bunch of intellectual knowledge and wisdom, have secret passwords, no secret codes. It just created another legal system and layers of how people got to God. And there were certain people in the church who loved it because they were a little bit more intellectual than others. And so Paul addresses this concern. So when he sits down to write this letter, he has this issue in mind. People that are beginning to drift from God and his church based off this false belief that there is another way to get to God than through Jesus. And so he starts by quoting a well-known hymn at the time. He says, he, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. All right, so let me, let me, let me take the remaining time that I have and, and try to break this down for us. So what Paul is saying is that I want to address the thing that is concerning you. I want to address the thing that is causing you to drift. And I love that about God, that he does not shy away from the challenges that we have, but he speaks directly to them and he shows us how Jesus should be first among those things. And so what he says to us, yes, he ends it with that in all things, Christ is preeminent, meaning that Christ has first place in everything. Yes, I have commended you for your, for your reputation. Yes, I am praying for you for what God is doing and where you're going. But if you're going to get to where God is taking you, I need to remind you of something. That above every ideology, above every false religion, above every false um, um, thought and every, every false cult, I need you to know that Jesus is preeminent above all things, right? So what he is saying is this. He says, I know that there are some that are teaching that Christ right? Plus other things equals how we get to God. I know that he's saying, I know that there are people who are saying that Christ isn't quite who we proclaimed him to be among you. I know that you've kind of drifted and now the message of the gospel doesn't quite seem sufficient enough to deal with the challenges that you have. And there seems like there needs to be something else that we add to it. But I want to remind you, beloved, that Christ is exactly who we declared him to be. And I will prove it for you that he is not some created being, but he is the one who created and sustains all things. In fact, beloved Colossians, I want you to know that actually everything that was created was created for him and by him. And he now has first place above everything else. Now, why is that good news, beloved? 
Well, one, it simplifies how I get to God. Because if we start putting all of these weights on how we get to God, and now you have to believe this way, you have to vote this way, you have to respond this way, you have to react this way, your philosophy has to be this way, you have to live in this community, you have to go to this school. We start putting all these things in place that block us from God, and now we feel as though we have to climb the rung, and we're never good enough. Like, let's apply it to our culture and our society. What things have we added that said Christ is not supreme and sufficient? That Christ isn't enough to get to God? The things that we condemn and we judge each other for. I love the fact that Paul starts off commending the church because we often, beloved, I am guilty. I'll speak for myself. I often condemn the church. Beloved, how easy is it for us to talk about all the things the church isn't? all the things the church has done wrong. And yet Paul reminds us that, look, beloved, I need you to know that Christ is the head of his church. I need to remind you that God is the one who set all this in motion. And you don't have to go through this long list of things to get to God. God has made a way, he says, for us to get to him through Jesus. And he says that by this. He says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. He says, Beloved, beloved, I know that there's these false teachers out there teaching you, you got to obey a bunch of laws and rules to get to the Father. But I need you to know that the, it pleased God to send his son to make a way for you to come know him. And that was through the blood that he shed on a cross for you. So you can trust the message of the gospel that started you on this journey. Beloved, the same is true for where I believe we are going. And I say we because we're in this together. This church has made a commitment to ministry partners, to organizations, to a school to come and said, this is where we feel like God is taking us. And in the midst of all of that, there's something we have to take with us. That Christ is supreme. So that when others, as I said, look from the outside, when there's challenges and struggles, when there's conflict and questions, we can be reminded in the midst of that God has started us on this journey, is preparing us and has prepared us for what's ahead, and is reminding us what it's all for. And that is that Christ may receive what he is due, because all things are for him. Beloved, I am I'm excited that we have the opportunity to go on this journey together. And I'm excited to reflect on all that God has done for us. And I am praying that we would be those who continue to grow in the knowledge of God. That we would continue to grow in what God desires for us. And that we would continue to walk in a way that is worthy and pleasing to the Father. And that in all things, Christ will be glorified. Amen. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your truth. 
We thank you, Father God, that you are supreme above all things. And Lord, we come to you, Lord, right now, thanking you, Father God, for where you are taking us and what you are doing. God, I pray that you would receive all the glory, all the praise and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.